Good morning. Good to see you and be with you here this morning. And just a couple of things before we uh, jump in. Last year I mentioned that uh, Mir Sarfati and I were going to be doing some traveling together. And God has opened some amazing doors for us uh, to do conferences literally all over the world. And this is going to start in January. Uh, We will be together in the Philippines speaking two days at a Bible college. And then we're going to be doing at Polytechnic University in Manila, a two-hour open Q&A at a law school. So this is going to be pretty exciting. And then on Saturday, we'll be holding and awaiting his return conference. And then proximity is on January 25th. Then we're headed out to Miami and then Dallas, and then Vancouver, B.C., and then Jan Markell has invited me to speak at the largest conference in the United States, Prophecy Conference, that is, her uh, Understanding the Time Conference in Minneapolis in uh, September, and then uh, Prophecy Conference. I will be the only American speaking at a Prophecy Conference in Jerusalem with five other Messianic Jewish pastors. And... Um, I say all that, pray for me, (laughs) that uh, the Lord would continue to heal. I was telling the band in the back, and I mentioned to the group on Wednesday night, uh, I had finished my antibiotics and then was put on an antifungal medication just to kind of touch all the bases. And the antifungal medication is kind of interesting. It makes me a little bit dingy, (laughs) er, I guess. And it messes with my stomach, but it only does it for 23 hours. And then for one hour, I feel pretty good, and then I have to take it again. So tonight's my last night, so I'm looking forward to being med-free tomorrow. But please be praying for all these things, as well as you continue to pray for our building and building fund, as God uh, obviously has a wonderful plan for us, we know that everything he does is always an upgrade. So something wonderful awaits us. Amen? Also, Second Samuel 4 will be our text this Wednesday night. If you'd like to read ahead as we continue to wade through some pretty heavy chapters, but we've been finding some wonderful personal lessons along the way. So with that said, here we go. You ready? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We'll look at verses 15 through 25 this morning. Now, last time we were together in Acts, we mentioned that with Paul's arrival now in Jerusalem, he had completed his third and final missionary journey. And since uh, we also noted that the book of Acts opens with Pentecost and the birth of the church, Acts has now covered some 25 years of church history, placing our chapter somewhere around 57 A.D. Now, in our last time together, we noted through an illustration that uh, involved my grandson Tanner, who plays varsity water polo as a freshman. Did I mention that last time? I I couldn't remember if I did, so I thought I'd remind you. That when the book of Acts began, Peter was the prominent apostle in the narrative. And then we moved on to a couple of chapters concerning Stephen and then Philip in Samaria. And now we've been focusing on Paul's ministry, and he's become the primary focus of the book of Acts. And we noted that in early church history, down through church history, as brief as it was at this point, there are participants and spectators 
within the body of Christ, just as always. And we made our point from Acts 21.6, where we're told, as Luke records, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Now, we were careful not to impose anything on the text or into the text or imply anything about those who returned home, we simply made note that the scene records some press forward into a time of sacrificial ministry and others went home. Now, our goal last time was that we would remember that there are rewards in heaven. Did not Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount that great is your reward where? In heaven. And therefore, rewards are as biblical of a doctrine as being saved by grace through faith. And the rewards in heaven are basically the result of doing the good works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Now, an example is found in Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26 within the hall of faith, where we're told of Moses, who by faith, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer what? Affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, the Greek word translated as looked means actually to look away from everything else. It can also mean to intently regard with great respect. And Moses' choice of affliction was really a simple one. He decided it was better to be a child of God than a grandson of Pharaoh. For he looked away from the passing pleasures of sin and he looked to the rewards in heaven. Now, even though that meant suffering afflictions, which is the same choice that we know Paul had made concerning his trip to Jerusalem, these men still made the same choice to share the experience with God's people than to pursue the pleasures of the world. Now, we're going to need a little bit of help via illustration to get to our title and approach to our text this morning. But let me first say this. Our text is as many others are, and that is it has divided commentators into two camps. And also, as is often the case, or maybe even always the case, there are elements of each camp that I would agree with and disagree with. Now, here's the setup for our title and time together this morning. As I examined this text and all that we had seen before, it reminded me of a time when Terry and I were on our way to a wedding. It was about three years ago, and we were new to having a nav system in our car. We'd never had one before, and uh, we're trusting in it to get to this address instead of flipping through the old Thomas guide like you used to do. And I punched in the address. It told me how to get out of my driveway and off of my own street and where to turn and all the things I already knew. And then it began to reveal some rather interesting things. We followed the directions for a while, and then all of a sudden it gives us something that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And as we followed these directions, I began to get a bit agitated because anybody who knows me knows that promptness is next to godliness in my book. I like to be on time. And we were already running a close call in traveling to this place. Now, we were going from South Orange County 
up to Downey. And I know basically how to get to Downey, but I didn't know where the church was. And all of a sudden, the nav system said, take the 5 north to the 55 north to the 22 west. And I'm thinking, that's not how you get to Downey. How ridiculous is that? Maybe I didn't know how to use the system. Maybe I input the information wrong. And as I said, I don't like to be late. And this was going to make us late following what this woman's voice was telling us through the nav system. I was just getting ready to get off the 22 when all of a sudden it says in a half a mile, take the next exit onto the five north. What? We were just on the five north. Now, here's the funny thing. As frustrated as I was with these directions, that's exactly the way I drive to his channel every Thursday because it's faster and shorter, even though it didn't make any sense. Get off the freeway you're on, take two other freeways, and get back on the freeway you were already on. Now, what does this have to do with our text? Nothing. I just wanted to tell you that. No, actually, it has everything to do with our text because our title this morning is something that we men are famous for, and our title is Following Directions. (laughs) Following Directions. Let me hear some male amen out there. Now, for those with nav systems, I think we've all had those encounters where the person or the automated voice that's speaking mispronounces some of the names and it's almost comical or it's confusing thinking, what did they say? What's San Juan Capistrano? What are they talking about? I think we've all heard those types of things. But let me remind you that God doesn't operate operate that way. His directions are clear. His directions are concise. He tells us exactly what we need to do next. And we'll deal with what lie beyond that here in our time this morning. As a matter of fact, God is our heavenly nav system. But the difference is, sometimes he's the only one that knows the destination. And that's what we'll talk about here this morning. Now, let me further set up our time with a famous set of verses from Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own nav system or understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Now, I have to say I'm a bit of a legend in my family for my famous or maybe infamous shortcuts. We have become accidental tourists on more than one occasion because I thought I knew a better way to get there. Now, I know some of you ladies share that same blessing that my wife Terry does. But I will say this, God chose not to install an internal compass in my wife. So even when I don't know where I'm going, she doesn't either. We're just happy together. So, but the truth is, we could all be better at following directions. Come on now. We could all be better at following directions, including those from the Holy Spirit and God's Word. So let's learn through Paul's arrival at his desired destination, remembering all the twists and turns and sea journeys and land journeys that it took to get him there. So would you stand and read with me, please, from Acts chapter 21, verses 15 through 
25. Acts 21, 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And Father, we are grateful uh, for this passage this morning. And Lord, we readily admit that we're not always quick to do what we're instructed. But Lord, I pray that this morning we would see a greater value in it, even as we learn more about how you lead us through our time in text this morning. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, for we ask it in the name above all others, the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Luke starts by saying, after those days, and the days he is speaking of are the days that Paul and his entourage had stayed with Philip the Evangelist and his four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, during that time, there was a man named Agabus, who is described as a prophet who came from Judah specifically to give Paul a bit of a visual aid as to what awaited him in the future. Now, our verses prior to ours this morning from 2111 to 14, we're told when he had come to us, Agabus, that is, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from the place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Paul was saying, it's hard enough for me already. Why are you now adding this to my heartache? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the will of the Lord be done. Now, the next thing we read of as a group of disciples from Caesarea joined Paul, Luke, and the others is that among them was a man named Manasseh. And we are told he was an early disciple of the Lord. Now, I think we all recognize that History is a word that is a bit relative. When you talk about the history of the United States, you're talking about a few centuries. When you talk about the history of Israel or Egypt, you're talking about a few millennia. 
And thus this man is described as an early disciple. In other words, he had some history as a Christian, and he was a believer for just over a quarter of century. Now we're told that he was from Cyprus. We're told that he had a Greek name, and most early Christians were Jews. Thus this man was likely a Hellenist. He was a Greek-speaking Jew. Now, beyond being mentioned as someone who had a long history in comparison to many Christians at the time of being a believer, we know nothing else about Manasseh other than it was he whom Paul and company were to lodge with. Now, it's possible because of his history that he was responsible for informing Luke of much of early church history during the time they stayed with him. Now, why Manasseh was from Cyprus and had a home in Jerusalem, we don't know. What he did for a living, we don't know. How Paul knew he was supposed to lodge with them, we don't know. There's a pattern developing here. I hope you're picking up on it. Now, those are things we don't know. But here's what we do know. Listen this morning. The details of God's plan are often revealed along the way. The details of God's plan are often revealed along the way. Now remember, Caesarea Maritima, where they were and began their journey from, to Jerusalem was 65 miles away. And Paul had made the decision to go up to Jerusalem, and the details between the decision and the destination were not known at the time of his departure. And then he found out he was to stay with Manasseh. Now, in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we see this established as a biblical precedent when the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. Now, God gave Abram two things. He gave him a directive and he gave him a destination. He said, go. There's the directive. I'll make you a great nation. There's the destination. The in-between he did not reveal to the man whom he called his friend. Now, this is usually true with us. The Lord calls us to do something. He calls us to good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. He reminds us, promises us, assures us that he will empower us to do all that he has called us to do. But in between, we don't always know how things are going to work out. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Now, sometimes when the Lord calls, we think, how am I going to do this? Sometimes we think, I don't even even know if I can do that. Well, the most frequent thing that comes to mind is, I don't have time to do that. Now, the Abram thing was actually something that led to the start of this church. Terry and I had been at a church for 11 years. Both of us were serving in ministry. Our life was rich and full. We had great friends. We had great fellowships. And then one Tuesday night, I had something come in the middle of the night And it was simply two words, Isaiah 51. I got up and this is what I read. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. 
you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. Remember, he's the father of all who believe. And to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him, what? Alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, I will say the Lord had been stirring in my heart that uh, we were to go. We were to go out. And it was just something that was kind of wrestling around in my heart. And mind, but the only clear direction we received was go and I'll show. So we did. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know what was going to happen next. All we knew is that we were, uh, we had received a clear directive from the Lord with no details. Now, here's the thing and why I wanted to bring that up. Here's something I've learned through that and down through the years. Listen this morning. God won't give you further details to get you to go. God will only give you the details once you do go. He has just told us to go. And if God says go, we ought to go. God told us to go and we go. It's just that simple. Now, Paul and company were to lodge with Manasseh of Cyprus. A detail that emerged after the final leg of the journey actually began. And he'll do the same for you and I. So all we have to do is go. The time factor, the necessary gifting, the knowledge he'll reveal along the way is something that he reveals as we go. But if you don't go, you'll never know. Somebody say, Amen. Now, look at 17 through 21 a second time. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law, but they've been informed about you that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Moses uh, being a cinnamon, 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 yeah, see. It's the medication. (laughs) Saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Now, back to our nav illustration for a moment. As I said, we are being guided by an external force. We are being guided from above. And he has calculated the root and the fruit of where we're going and what what he would have us to do. And listen, sometimes his directions are going to lead us into experiences like Terry and I had on the way to the wedding. Take the right freeway, then get on two other freeways that take you back to the same freeway. It doesn't make sense, but it's what we're directed to do. Now, here Paul has thrown a proverbial curveball. He arrives in Jerusalem. The brethren there gladly receive him. The next day he goes to see the Lord's half-brother James, who is the head of the Jerusalem church, and all the elders are present with him there. And many believe that this group of elders was modeled after the Sanhedrin. Therefore, there was 70 in number. Now, one thing we need to note is that by this time, all the apostles had left Jerusalem. They were out preaching all over the known world. And Agabus is actually the last mention of a prophet 
in the New Testament. And from then on, all the mentions in in and throughout the epistles will talk about the overseers of the church being elders or pastors. Now, in Titus 1, 5 through 9, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Then he gives the same qualifications he gave in 1 Timothy 3. If a man is blameless, which could be translated as without glaring defect or having overcome basic sins. The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be what? Blameless. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict, obviously contradict the scripture. Now, I point this out for multiple reasons, one of them being, We have a group today that says that they are a board of apostles and they are responsible for ushering in a a new apostolic reformation. And they are like the Council of Jerusalem. They have seen the resurrected Lord. God has put them in authority to bring about uh, dominion of the church over the world. And it's interesting that we find within Scripture, as I said, Basically, Paul being the last of the apostles, Agabus being the last mention of a prophet. And then from then on, throughout church history, we see elders and bishops and pastors and shepherds being the terminology that's used to teach and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every city. And then he uses the term bishop synonymously with elder. And what he's saying is, Appoint experienced overseers over every house church. He wasn't establishing in Crete to set forth a church council to oversee the church, like many have interpreted that to mean and many have done today. But the point is this. Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He's gladly received by the brethren. The next day he reports all that God had done through the ministry team and James and all the Jerusalem elders glorified the Lord. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, James and the elders drop a bomb on Paul, saying, you know, there are myriads of Jews who have become Christians in the brief history of the church, and they're zealous for the law, and they have been told that you are telling the Jews among the Gentiles, forget about the law, don't circumcise your children, or keep the customs of the Jews. Now, none of this was true, and it's been proven to be untrue in the historical record of the book of Acts, including Acts 18, 18 to 21 where we're told Paul had remained a good while, then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with who? With the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, "Um, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing, and he sailed from Ephesus. Now, when we studied chapter 18, we made note that the feast Paul wanted to keep was the Passover. The vow that he had taken was the Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow included for a prescribed period of time, not cutting your hair, not going near a dead body, and not drinking any wine. And at the end of that time, 
the hair was to be cut. It was to be taken on a feast day to Jerusalem and offered with the sacrifices of the feast. So Paul is in Antioch. He's in a synagogue. He's talking to Jews about a feast day. He's honoring a Jewish traditional vow with no mention of the things he is accused of by the church. So the myriad of Jews that James was talking about had been misinformed about Paul's teaching, which reminds me of the old adage, a rumor will circle the globe before the church or before the truth even gets out of bed. Now, here's our point from something we mentioned previously. Listen, when following God's directions, we can always expect the unexpected. When following God's directions, we can always expect the unexpected. Now, as I said, in our trip to Downey, we're actually going to the wedding of James Cadiz. I don't know if any of you are familiar with James, dear Egyptian brother. Uh, God has given a great mind. And I didn't expect to get on the 55 and 22 and then back on the 5 where we started. But that was the directions I received from above. Above being GPS, not being the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, Isaiah 51 was very instrumental in the founding of CCT. God called us out of our old church. He told us to go to a place, and I'll show you where that is later. I didn't know the rest of the chapter was going to be included in the call. And in Isaiah 51, 21 to 23, the prophet says, Therefore hear this, you afflicted and drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you. have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. And you've laid your body down like a ground or taken the humble path as and as a street for those to walk over. Now, I didn't know the year after we left our home church, it was going to be the spiritual battle that it was. I didn't know that there were going to be the afflictions that awaited us after leaving a place we called home for 11 years. I wasn't expecting the things to be said to and about me that were said. I didn't know the next year would be a year of trembling, saying to myself over and over and over, what have I done? Well, what did I learn? I learned this. When following God's directions, we can always expect the unexpected. But listen, not all the unexpected is negative. We should also expect unexpected, magnificent things to happen, like CCT being born. I didn't know that was the plan, but that's what God did. Now, think about it like this from Acts 12, 5 through 11. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. He said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of who? 
the Jewish people. Now, what I like about this story and what we need to be reminded of is that Peter wasn't up pacing all night the night before his execution. The angelic visit was completely unexpected. Peter had to be awakened. The angel had to roust him out of his sleep. Come on, Pete, get up and get dressed. Peter did half asleep, wasn't sure if what was happening was real. And then finally the gates of the city opened of their own accord. This angel disappears and Peter says, hey, this is really happening. This is unexpected, but I like it. Now, here he is, bound between two guards. The angel shows up, wakes him up, chains fall off, gates open on their own, and Peter is free. And listen, when following God's directions, we're going to encounter things we would rather not, and we're going to encounter things we wouldn't want to miss. And both are unexpected, and both are previously known to God. Now, let's have a look at the verses that divided the commentators, picking it up again in 22 and reading down through 25. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, as we read in previous chapters, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now, the two schools of thought concerning these verses and the command that was given or the directive given by the Jerusalem Council, do what we say. There's four men who are going to take a vow and you need to pay their expenses during that time of the vow as they consecrate or set themselves apart from their normal daily routines. And the schools of thought are, this was Paul's biggest ministry mistake. And it was a misdirection on the part of the Jerusalem elders. The other school of thought is that this is simply Paul and the Jerusalem council trying not to push the Jews away from the gospel by demanding centuries-old traditions be abandoned. Now, as I said, I think there's truth and error in both positions. I would agree. Paul and the council were trying to win the Jews by acting like one. And I would also say we need to be careful about this type of thing because church doctrine and practices are established by the word, not cultural pressures or religious traditions. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. And to the Jews I became as a what? As a Jew that I might win Jews. That's why he was taking these vows and following these traditions. To those who are under the law, as under the law. That I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God. In other words, not living in immorality or like a pagan heathen. But under law towards Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as the weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Now, Paul loved the Jews. Amen? Paul loved the Jews. Even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, where did he stop first every time he entered into a city? He stopped at the synagogue. His motive was love for his countrymen. 
Were his actions then wrong in taking vows and attending feast days? Was the council wrong in what they told him to do? Well, what we know for sure is what happened next was there was a riot. Paul was seized by the Jews with the intent to kill him. He was then rescued by the Roman commander, the commander of the Roman garrison there in Jerusalem. So was this Paul's great mistake? Was the riot and arrest of Paul the fault of the Jerusalem council? I don't think anybody can say with absolute certainty. So let's consider what we know for sure about following directions. Now, here's our takeaway. Listen this morning. Our obedience to God's directions is not determined by potential outcomes. Our obedience to God's directions is not determined by potential outcomes. In other words, what I mean is that we don't say, you know, I can see how this is going to work out. I'm going to do it. No, you need to do it even if you can't see how it's going to work out. Even if you don't know what the very next step is. Even if you receive directions like Abram, go and I'll show. When God speaks, you do what God says. Somebody say amen. It's just that simple. Now, we've made the point in the past that God will often lead you into difficulty for the glory of getting you out. God will often lead you into difficulty for the glory of getting you out. How many have had experiences in life you would rather skip? I can think of seven days not too long ago that was an experience I would have rather skipped altogether. But God allowed it. And God was speaking in it and through it. And thus, Acts 20, 22 to 24, uh, Paul would say, And now see, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with what? Joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, listen, Paul didn't say, you know, the Holy Spirit told me things are going to be tough if I go there, so I'm going somewhere else. He wasn't moved off course. And listen, when God speaks to us, even if it doesn't make sense, or if the potential outcome may have some negative attachments to it, possibly we still follow God's directions. Hmm. Not sure what the delay was there, but now, you know why we do that? Because he's God. That's why we do that. That's why Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, listen, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And God is the king of all kings. Amen. Listen, that's all we need. He's God. If we understand who he is, if we understand he knows all, can do all, and is everywhere, then we're going to simply obey what he calls us to do. And that's the right thing to do. Jesus said in Luke six forty six, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. We used these last week too, but they're, they're still good this week. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. But when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat beat vehemently and immediately it fell 
and the ruin of that house was great. Now, here's why I think it's important to point this out. Both houses experienced a storm. It wasn't that the one built on the rock never had any storms beat against it or streams flow up against it. And listen, even though we may calculate how things will go, the cost of time, the cost of effort, the cost of energy, whatever else it may be that we're looking at concerning what God has told us to do, it doesn't matter if God told us to do it, we do it. And that's where it ends, amen? Amen. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and then you act like I'm not? Because Lord means master. Why do you say I'm your master and then you don't even do the things that I tell you to do? Now, here's what we need to wrap our time up with this morning. God doesn't give all the specifics up front. Sometimes it's just two words, go. Sometimes he just says, you know, I'm going to do something and you need to get up and you need to do what we see repeated in Acts over and over. Arise and go. And sometimes God says, go and I'll show. And along the way, unexpected things are going to happen. Some are going to be amazing. Some not so much. But those factors don't play a role in determining whether we do what the Lord says or not. Now, Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with grumpiness. Serve the Lord with what? With gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know the Lord. He is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. God's on the throne. And Just let me remind you that, you know, God is actually a title. The word means supreme being. His name is Jehovah. He is the Lord. He occupies the place of the supreme being in all the universe who can speak the universe into existence. And at his word, all things must happen. Now, if he can say, let there be light and there's light, and then four days later, create the heavenly luminaries, then when he says go, I'm thinking we ought to. Well, you know, the potential outcome, uh, just, uh, you know, people have gone over there before. People have tried to witness to that person before. And, you know, there, there hasn't been much fruit over there. But listen, if God said go, then we should go. Because he's always right. Amen. And listen, just even thinking back as I'm now kind of going over the things we've talked about this morning in my mind. You know, there was a time where the Lord told me to go. He told me to go to Los Angeles. I had a burden for Los Angeles. I watched uh, and looked at the, this is obviously well beyond our history here at CCT, but I looked at the map of Calvary Chapels and basically they ended at LA County Line and started again up in the San Fernando Valley and there was nothing happening in LA. And thank the Lord, it's kind of interesting. Now here some 20 years later, as uh, 
Uh, Charlie mentioned Lori Wilburn is going to be here. Pastor Steve Wilburn, who pastors Core Church, is now pastoring a church literally right around the corner from where Terry and I went up for six months to see if God wanted to start a church up in West L.A. And we were up in Culver City, and we went for six months. I talked to my pastor and said, what do you think? He said, well, the only wrong thing to do is not go. If God is telling me to go, go. Well, we went, and no church was born. But it was all preparation for this church. It was all teaching opportunities for faithfulness. And to remember, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. If God said go, you go. If God said drive 73 miles one way for six months every Saturday night, then that's what you do. And if my expectations were different than his plans, that didn't matter. We went every Saturday night. Sometimes nobody showed up. Nobody. Now one person from L.A., that is. But sometimes there were 35 people from our church who drove all the way up to L.A. And I remember one Saturday night, I apologized to everyone and said, you know, I'm sorry. You know, there's nobody here. So let's just get in the cars and go back home. And everybody said, "Uh, no, we drove up here to hear a Bible study. Get behind that pulpit and teach. (laughs) The Lord was guiding. The Lord was directing. There's no question that he took us up there. It was just for something different than I expected. And the same is true in our lives today. And listen, we don't look at the possibilities. We don't look at the potential outcomes. All we do is look to God and he says, go. We say yes. And that's the end. Amen. Amen. Father, we are grateful for this time and text this morning. And thank you for uh, the things that we see here that uh, Paul encountered. And Lord, how quickly we're reminded that things can turn on a dime, so to speak, to use that phrase. As uh, one day he's talking, uh, we are gladly received by the brethren. The next day there's rejoicing for a moment. And then there's correction that immediately follows. And Lord, we thank you that within all the experiences of your direction, there is a glorious outcome awaiting us in the end. So, Lord, help us not to be uh, demanding of specifics when all you've given us is what we need just to take the next step. Help us to be trusting and faithful in what you've called us to do, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the directions seem to take us off course. Lord, when you've given us our directive and final destination. Help us to leave the details in between in your very capable hands. And help us, Lord, to be willing to just simply go, even when others come alongside and say no. So we thank you for our time in this wonderful text this morning. Thank you for the example of Paul, his burden for his own countrymen, and his burden for all the lost. And Lord, help us to have such a burden that we would arise and go, that others may know and believe. We thank you for our time this morning and this beautiful text as well. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Hey, let's follow directions. Amen. Amen. We have enough of them, right? And God has given us saying, go to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, there's a directive and there's a destination. The directive is go. The destination is to every creature. So, There's some creatures out there. And we ought to go to them and to preach the gospel. So listen, don't let the difficulty that you can see with your own eyes and through your own flesh 
hinder you from doing what God has said. And as I alluded to earlier, listen, it doesn't matter if you told somebody about Jesus a thousand times, make it a thousand and one. It doesn't matter that somebody's rejected you over and over and over. Go to them again and tell them about Jesus because you can't get saved without Jesus. You can't go to heaven apart from Jesus. And it doesn't matter that culture continues to insult us, seeks to hinder us, wants us to change our message, wants us to dumb down the gospel, wants us to abandon portions of scripture. We just stick to the word of God because the entirety of the word of God is true. And only God's truth can make men free. Amen.